0: My name is Rochelle Ivry, and as Solomon said, I am one of 10 citizenship judges in Canada. My role involves welcoming people into the Canadian family when they have gone through all of the processes and become, um, become Canadian citizens. And my role also involves um, having hearings for people who don't meet the requirements as well. Um, so I come to you today with a message about the promise of Canada. And so, so many people think about Canada, um, but don't understand why, why Canada? Why is Canada such a beacon for so many people? And I'll share with you just a few um, of the wonderful things about Canada. So the US News and World Reports ranked Canada number one in the world for quality of life. That's really, really important because when you think about your levels of stress, when you think about your ability to leave a legacy for yourself and for your children, the fact that you have the ability to have the best quality of life in the world in Canada is very, very important. Canada is also in the top three for best overall country. Best for women, and so as a woman, that is very important to me. Opportunities for girls and women is very important. I'm going to butcher the um, saying, but the saying says that when you nurture girls and women, then you are actually um, preparing for your future generations. And so the fact that Canada is in the top three countries for being the best for women is really important. It's also in the top three for education in the world. We're talking about when we look across the entire world, Canada is ranked Um, number one and in the top three. We can also boast being in the top five worldwide for the largest artificial intelligence workforce. And that's really important for those who are in STEM, for those who are in sciences and technology. I'll talk a little bit later about um, what you need to consider when you're immigrating to Canada. But the fact that Canada is in the top five worldwide for the largest artificial intelligence workforce is a really important thing. And we're also in the top 10 most, we also hold the most, the top 10 most powerful passports. So it's one of the most powerful passports to hold in all of the world. In Canada, more than 200 languages are spoken across the country. There are over 200 different ethnicities. One of the mottos of Canada is that diversity is our strength. And while Especially in recent times, we can identify some of the areas where we certainly need to improve. The fact that the country recognizes from the top down that diversity is the strength of this country is a really important thing, especially for Ugandans in the the diaspora. So I have Um, prepared for you just a few things that I have um, identified um, in terms of tips for immigration then I will move on to those who are who are currently students or here on work permits and then I will move on to permanent residents and tips that I have now I'll give you a little bit about the background of myself so that you understand where I'm coming from. In addition to being a citizenship judge, I am also a paralegal professor. I teach I teach law. And um, prior to becoming a judge, not only did I sit on various agencies, boards, and commissions, but I was also um, an immigration consultant. So, and I spent many years working at the federal courts and the Immigration and Refugee Board. So what I'm sharing with you is from my years of uh, being in the community, but also from my years as a practitioner. So I am unable, I'm gonna say this from now, unable to provide any type of legal advice in my current role. It will affect my ability to be unbiased Um, And impartial. So I can't offer you any specific legal advice. So hopefully you're going to take some notes right now in order for you to um, uh, identify some tips that might be useful for you. Okay, so the first thing, make sure that you obtain proper legal advice. And retain counsel, whether that's an immigration lawyer or an immigration consultant registered either with a provincial law society or the Immigration Consultants Regulatory Council of Canada. And that might seem biased as somebody who is an immigration practitioner, um, but I have seen so many people led astray um, through word of mouth. They heard something from a friend and they've kind of Uh, decided that they're going to go based on what that friend has told them. And unfortunately, it's either old advice or um, something that doesn't meet their particular needs. And so when you take the time uh, to actually consult with someone who has the knowledge and expertise, at the very least, you can be placed in the right direction in terms of what suits your needs in particular. And you have the ability to search for those individuals on the Provincial Law Society website. So in Ontario, that would be the Law Society of Ontario, the ICCRC, the Immigration Consultants Regulatory Council of Canada. Um, You can search their websites in order to see if that person is in good standing, to see if there are any types of complaints about them, uh, in order to ensure that you have someone who um, is actually, you know, has integrity and is doing uh, what you would like for them to do for you. Um, Secondly, there are so many avenues to immigrate to Canada. You have to choose the right one that suits your needs because any type of misrepresentation or any failed attempts to immigrate to Canada could affect your your future eligibility. Many hear about things, as I said before, through the grapevine, Many hear that they should file for refugee status, for instance. Well, refugees, um, as somebody who worked at the Immigration and Refugee Board, there are actual legal requirements in order to meet the definition of a refugee or someone who is in need of protection. And if you don't have the reliable evidence to support your claim, you will be rejected. And if you are a rejected refugee claimant, This can have an adverse effect on your future eligibility to uh, properly regularize yourself in Canada. I just want to say that again. Refugee status is something that is um, for those who actually have um, something that will meet the criteria within the framework of uh, requiring refugee protection or being a person in need of protection. It's important that you get proper legal advice before you make a refugee claim because it can have an adverse effect on you if you are unsuccessful or if you have applied for refugee status um, and, and they identify that that was some form of misrepresentation. It's very challenging, but you also need to have the evidence to support what it is that you're asking for um, and, and the claims that you're making. And so um, again, legal advice is really important in that avenue. Many also apply as students, and for many people in the diaspora, that is a wonderful way to be able to uh, come into Canada. Um, One, you are furthering your education. You're getting Canadian education experience, and at times, during that educational experience, you're also gaining Canadian work experience. And all of those things can bode you well when you're now applying for permanent residency in Canada. So, assuming you really have a desire to attend school in Canada, this is a really good way to immigrate as you would gain Canadian education. Again, Canada is ranked in the top three in the world for education. So, your Canadian education is seen very favorably around the world. And there are many programs to regularize yourself upon completion of your program as a student. My words of wisdom here are to do some research before you apply as a student, to see what jobs are in demand in Canada and tailor your schooling in an area that is much needed. While I have the utmost respect for people who are studying uh, English literature, it may not be something that we need in Canada because there are so many people in Canada that are studying English literature. So there are many um, job websites and many different um, resources that you can access to identify trends and to identify the types of jobs that would be in high demand in Canada. And I would say, assuming that you have the educational acumen and the ability to succeed in that, that those are the areas that you should apply for your schooling to ensure the likelihood that you can um, receive employment upon uh, completion. Um, so in many parts of Canada skilled trade workers, for instance, people who do construction tilers, plumbers are in high, high, high demand. I'll even just anecdotally tell you that I was doing some renovations on my own home and the the um, trade staff that Came here asked if we knew people who were in the skilled trades because they have a dire need for individuals in the skilled trades. So I know as someone of uh, Jamaican background and uh, many friends in the African diaspora, um, we focus a lot on professional degrees, and that I have one myself, so I'm not saying that that's not important, but um, if you have the ability to, um, to work in the skilled trades, that is also a very viable um, option for you, especially in Canada, and also um, affords you a very high quality of life here in Canada. We have one of the largest artificial intelligence workforces, Uh, but the workforce is lacking in diversity. So this could be an area of focus for your studies in order to add to that diversity. Um, Many people uh, talk about how important it is to work in STEM, science, technology, right? So uh, those are always in high demand in Canada. Um, Also for those who already have a degree or what have you, postgraduate work, coming to Canada to do a master's or PhD program will also bode you well in terms of increasing the quality of life for yourself here in Canada. I should note that there is a distinction in Canada between college and university, and that can be confusing because in the United States, they talk about college and university synonymously. Um, There is a distinction in Canada between college and university. And so make sure that you educate yourself on the differences to ensure that you're applying to the correct program and to increase your likelihood of success upon completion, upon graduation. Um, Okay, so express entry is how Canada assesses skilled workers. This is what is likely known and referred to as the point system. Um, So it is a point system. It is a hundred point system with six selection factors, language, education, Work experience, age, arranged employment in Canada, and adaptability. For those of you taking notes, I will repeat that again. Language, education, work experience, age, arranged employment in Canada, and adaptability. You have to score a 67 and higher on the point scale in order for you to qualify to qualify for express entry and to come into Canada as a skilled worker. So for language, the total uh, available points is 28 points for proficiency in one of our two official languages, English or French. You must obtain what's called a CLB score or a, edu- a language assessment score of seven or higher on an official language assessment uh, in order for you to meet the criteria. Education, is total of 25 points available to you in education. You must show a Canadian diploma, that could be high school, college, or university, a degree. Um, And any foreign credentials need to undergo an educational assessment from a designated organization. So you can have foreign credentials. It goes through what's called the WES and there's another educational assessment um, organization that you can have your uh, degree assessed. And that will um, help for Canada to understand where your degree falls in terms of equivalency to Canada. Um, So again, that's a total of 25 points. So you can see the bulk of the points of the hundred points, language is 28 points, education is 25 points. Very important. For work experience, it's a maximum of 15 points. And this is allocated based on the number of years of full time or part time work in certain work categories, you get a maximum a number of points for six or more years full time. And then the scale goes down from there. Okay. Um, Age. So surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, depending on uh, on your perspective, it's a maximum of 12 points. But you receive the most amount of points for being between the ages of 18 and 35 so if you're over 40 like myself you actually lose points <laughs> and um, if you're 47 and up i'm not quite 47 yet but my husband is and he would receive zero points okay so that's really important for you to understand that age Canada is looking for young people. Canada is looking for people who will have a long and bright future in Canada. That's not to say that us 40-year-olds or 50-year-olds don't have a bright future as well, but uh, the 18 to 35-year-olds are who they're really focusing on. Um, And so you get maximum points. Those 12 points come to you if you're between 18 and 35. Uh, The next is employment in Canada, and so um, there's a maximum of 10 points there, and it's valid for a, it's valid continuous paid full-time work in certain job categories in Canada. That will get you the 10 points, Um, and so again, coming in as a student, for instance, um, and working during that time as a student will help for you to be able to meet some of this criteria. Or if you've come in under a work visa, even if you've gone back to Uganda, right? Or even if you've come in as a student and you've gone back, um, the fact that you have had previous employment in Canada would be very useful for you. And then finally, adaptability. And, what, and so you get a maximum of 10 points for adaptability. And um, what they mean by adaptability would be, what's your likelihood for success in Canada? I think that there's a recognition that if you don't know anyone, you have no family, um, you've never worked here before, you haven't gone to school here before, that that can create some challenges for you. And so you get a maximum of um, Up to 10 points for things like um, your spouse's or your partner's language level. If they also can speak English or French in a proficient way, it means that the likelihood, there's more of a likelihood of the both of you finding success in Canada. Um, Your, you or your spouse's past studies in Canada would allow you to also receive points. You or your spouse's past work in Canada, or if you have relatives in Canada. And so, um, again, maximum of 10 points for adaptability, but adaptability is something that they also look at. Again, the majority of those points are coming from um, language and education followed by work experience. And so those, are, those should be uh, your areas of focus if you have an interest in coming in as a skilled worker in Canada. Now, I will say Canada is also very good with having all of this information right on their um, immigration website. Um, there's nothing that I'm telling you here that I didn't just kind of go on and look for myself. Um, this is not, so although of course I do have specialized knowledge, uh, this information is available on um, on canada.gc.ca and you are able to um, navigate through. They, they actually go through the points system right on their website and you can even do your own assessment to determine where you fall if you meet the six, 67 points or higher. Another area that many people are unaware of are provincial nominee programs. Many don't realize it, realize that provinces can also recruit their own immigrants and make recommendations to the IRCC So, that means that if there's a particular province that you apply to and try to meet their needs um, in terms of their immigration needs that is also a very viable way for you to come to canada many focus on major cities like toronto vancouver and montreal and I'm born and raised in Toronto, so I totally understand the draw. It's a very multicultural, cosmopolitan, beautiful city. I've been to Montreal. Again, a wonderful, beautiful place to live, especially if you're a French speaker. And I've also been to Vancouver. And so I understand the draw of major cities, but what we need to understand is that Canada is a very huge country And we need people to populate the entire country. And so these provincial nominee programs are a wonderful way For other provinces to also be able to gain immigrants to Canada um, and to meet their immigration needs. Um, so you actually get more points for your willingness to live in other parts of the country, which also need workers and some areas are very, very needy. Um, Another thing to consider living outside of Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal is that house prices and cost of living are also generally lower. So if your goal, we'll talk about that a little later, but your goal should be home ownership and if your goal is home ownership, it's very hard to come by the 1.3 million dollars that you might need in Toronto to own a home that you really like Um, uh, and so um, living somewhere else in another in a smaller town uh, living in another province um, like Saskatchewan or the Maritimes are very viable for you not only are they wanting immigrants but the cost of living is also lower. It allows you to be able to achieve some of your real tangible goals that you should have, like home ownership, um, just outside of those major cities. Um, So you can make a good life for you and for your family. So I'm not gonna touch on all of the provincial nominee programs. We would be here all day, Um, but again, These are all readily available on the um, on the uh, federal government immigration website, Um, but I'm going to just talk about uh, two of them. Well, mainly one and touch on another one, just so that you know now it's important as well that So each province, including Ontario, also has a provincial nominee program and they've actually all of the provincial nominee programs, despite COVID and despite the fact that the border has been closed, they have been actively having draws even after the pandemic hit. So people have been invited to come to places like Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba uh, and various places, even during this pandemic. Um, And they continue to do so. There were actively some draws in April, some in May, and they continue to have draws where they are asking for people to come to Canada under these provincial nominee programs. The one that I will highlight is the Atlantic Immigration Pilot Program. Now, this program has actually been extended to December of 2021, which means that this is a wonderful opportunity for you. And upon successfully meeting the criteria, you would actually receive permanent residency in less than a year. That is very rare. That is a wonderful thing uh, for you to be able to come in as a worker and actually to to become a permanent resident in such a short period of time. The Atlantic Immigration Pilot Program essentially seeks to draw skilled immigrants to the Atlantic provinces of Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, Newfoundland and Labrador, and Nova Scotia. These provinces have experienced a labor gap due to aging populations and low immigration rates. So as I said, people aren't flocking to the Maritimes, and they have an aging population, which means lots of people are retiring, lots of people, um, lots of openings for jobs and no one to fill them. And so this labor gap has resulted in them, them creating and now extending this pilot project in the Atlantic provinces. Um, They're hoping to draw in newcomers by offering this fast track to immigration along with unique work and settlement opportunities. The process begins with the employer who will recruit immigrants and recent international graduates. So a wonderful opportunity for students. So when you're applying to uh, a university or college Maybe consider applying to somewhere like Memorial University or somewhere in the Maritimes, uh, so that you can also take ad- advantage of this immigration pilot project. Um, but also, they are looking at international uh, individuals as well. Um, you actually apply to jobs directly, receive a job offer, and 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 come into Canada. Again, if you uh, if you um, if you search for the Atlantic Immigration Pilot Program all of that information will come up for you. Saskatchewan also has a very attractive provincial nominee program and a very low cost of living in Saskatchewan. And so again, that is certainly an option that you have available to you. Look at the provincial nominee programs across Canada um, and identify where you might be able to, um, where your needs and your, your skill sets can be met. Some are looking for simple things like people to work in hotels and restaurants and others are looking for very highly skilled. So again, look across the the country to see um, which programs uh, you meet the criteria for. Okay, so for those who already, um, so that's my advice for those in the diaspora who do not live and have not immigrated to Canada as yet. Um, I'm now moving on to those who already are studying in Canada, working in Canada, um, uh, living in Canada. Uh, You have made a wonderful choice. I'm biased, of course, as someone born and raised in Canada and also as a citizenship judge, but I truly believe that um, Canada, you know, one of the things that I've heard uh, even people say when they have received their citizenship, that they've won the lottery by becoming a part of the Canadian family. And so um, being successfully here, working, studying, and living in Canada, you have made a wonderful choice. There are some things that I also want you to consider. So for students or those on work visas, have you identified how you will regularize yourself? Meaning, what's your pathway to permanent residency? So you got in, you're now studying, what is your plan? It's important that you focus on that while you're studying, while you're on your work visa, rather than at the end, because sometimes you've got to get um, documentation together. Maybe there's volunteer opportunities or work opportunities that you could pursue and be more targeted in order to meet the criteria that you will need to meet by the time you're done your studies or by the time your work visa has expired. Um, So what is your pathway to permanent residency? Think about that and, and, and focus there. Ensure that you continually renew and extend your visas or permits. Um, one of the things, as a practitioner, that it was so disheartening to see are people who have somehow allowed for their status to expire. That creates a very challenging situation for yourself um, and for a practitioner to be able to help you to regularize yourself. So, ensure that you are continually renewing and extending your visa or your work permit um, so that you're not put in a precarious situation. Um, One, uh, for instance, there's also pathways to permanent residency depending on why you're here. So for instance, for students, the Canada Experience class is designed specifically for students. They know that you've got um, Canadian education and then there's an actual pathway for students under the Canada Experience class. Uh, spousal sponsorship. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, spousal sponsorship. Don't all, For all of you who are currently business owners, business class, investor, and entrepreneurship, you want to own a business in Canada, you'd like to be an entrepreneur, or you currently are an entrepreneur, that's another very important um, avenue to permanent residency in Canada that I would strongly um, support and advise on. Um, And then of course the Skilled Worker Express Entry program that we previously talked about. Whatever matches your situation best is what you should pursue, but you constantly have to be thinking about what your pathway is. It can't be something that is an afterthought. I'm going to say this as well, do not get married in order to stay in Canada. Um, And I say that because I have seen repeatedly People who have put themselves in that type of precarious situation. Um, many people make this mistake, um, and it turns out that their spouse has not, cannot meet the low income cutoff requirements, for instance, in order to sponsor them. Um, or the Canadian government has concerns about the what they call the bona fides or the uh, legitimacy of your relationship, and that becomes the scrutiny. Um, And so, um, Canada is very strict about um, uh, legitimate relationships and will scrutinize very seriously. Um, And so, if it's not a real relationship, I wouldn't encourage you to enter into it, simply to be able to stay in Canada. Um, Keep documentation and records. So, as I had said, alluded to before, Um, As a judge, one of the things that I even ask people for are, you know, can you show me proof of this? Can you show me this particular document? Do you have the proof to support what you're asking for? When you apply for permanent residence, you'll have to show proof, for instance, of your educational attainment, proof that you reside actively in Canada, proof of your income, okay? So have those things. Those are not things that you want to be an afterthought. Because you know that you'd like to be a permanent resident in Canada, take the time now to be organized and keep everything straight so that you have it all available to you when the time comes. If you don't have the proof, it does not exist. I, I, I tell people that all the time when I have hearings that unfortunately I can't just jump to a conclusion or make an inference for you. I need to see it. And then I can make a determination. So I need the proof in order to make an, uh, an appropriate determination. So hopefully those tips for those who are currently studying here on work visas and living in Canada, but have not become permanent residents are are useful for you. And then finally, to those who are permanent residents. I would be remiss as a citizenship judge not to tell you to get your citizenship. <laughs> and the question I get asked most frequently is why? Why should I get my citizenship and why does citizenship benefit me? The answer to that question is very simple. It's multifaceted, so I will, I will approach the, the answer right now. You can vote. In today's political climate, it's essential that you obtain and exercise your right to vote we can see how non-engagement and misinformation has led to changes that have had an adverse effect on poor and vulnerable populations now more than ever we need engaged and informed individuals utilizing the democratic process to ensure the protection of rights and success in black communities additionally many boards commissions and agencies require citizenship in order to be on the board so you're a ability to be an active citizen, your ability to have a voice at the table, which I am a strong proponent of. It's one of the things that I m- mainly do my keynotes on about um, our, our ability to um, get involved and to be on agencies, boards, and commissions. I will tell you that not being a citizen affects your ability to, to do that, to do just that. I recall a conversation with a town councillor who was dismayed that he had an ideal candidate for his public library board but she was not a Canadian citizen and the library act, the Ontario Library Act required this. Our ability to engage and uphold our civic duties are compromised without citizenship. You can get a Canadian passport. So remember we talked about the fact that our passport in Canada is one of the top 10 most powerful passports, gives you access to over 183 countries without a visa. So as an immigration practitioner, I have seen firsthand the virtue of a Canadian passport. I've also seen individuals scrutinized severely simply due to the passport that they carry. Furthermore, I have seen individuals stranded overseas due to either the expiration or loss of their permanent residency card. Having a Canadian passport helps to alleviate all of that. You get access to more jobs. There are jobs which prefer Canadian citizens and where Canadian citizenship would make you a more ideal client or a more ideal candidate due to ease of travel, lack of visa requirements. Even the federal government as an employer has a preference for Canadian citizens. When COVID hit and citizenship ceremonies ground to a halt, there were a number of people who required citizenship in order to continue with their research to travel unrestrictedly or to be eligible for their prospective employment. We were able to conduct emergency virtual ceremonies to assist, but this highlights the importance of citizenship. It's really important. You're free to live and work in any province or territory. You have the right to enter and remain and leave freely. Again, Canada has ranked uh, as the best country in the world for quality of life, which means that we are ahead of Sweden, ahead of Denmark, ahead of Norway, Switzerland, Finland, okay? Um, Securing your future and the future of your family. Through my many years employed with the federal courts and as a practitioner, I have seen too many families adversely affected by either the threat or reality of deportation and family separation. The current citizenship landscape even allows for minors to apply on their own if their parents cannot acquire citizenship. The Ugandan community benefits from securing citizenship so that you can do more for your families and for Uganda. Play an active role in the democratic system and help to actualize positive change for our communities. This is needed now more than ever. So now that we've established the why, I think that I can agree, I think that you would agree with me that I've established a very strong why for Canadian citizenship. So what's the how, and what are their requirements? So with the introduction of C6, which is a new legislation, um, many have found that the requirements are much more favorable for citizenship than in the past. So the first is that you should be a permanent resident in Canada for three out of the five years before applying. So you don't have to wait for five years. As long as you have been in Canada for three of the five years, uh, you can apply. You should file your income taxes for three out of those five years if required. You should speak and understand English or French at a level four. This does not apply under the new C-6 legislation. This this does not apply to applicants that are 55 and over. So if you're currently a permanent resident and you're over the age of 55, you do not have to meet the language requirement and you also don't have to write the citizenship test. You can simply apply and go straight into the queue for a citizenship ceremony. So you have to complete an application form. The fee is $630 per adult, and each child or minor is $100. The fee may seem costly, but the benefits, as I've outlined, outweigh the costs that may apply. You have to pass a citizenship knowledge test. The passing mark is a 15 out of 20. Again, this does not apply to people who are are 55 and over, but so you have to pass the citizenship test. And then finally, you take an oath of citizenship at a citizenship ceremony with either myself or one of the 10 judges or our voluntary presiding officials across Canada. So you'll be required to account for any and all your travel in and out of the country. So please keep a detailed record of travel, even if it's just a day trip, and keep proof of travel in addition to your passport. Now I say this because I encounter so many people who just re- rely on their passport to tell them when they've been in and out. Sometimes you don't get a stamp. Sometimes your, your, your passport isn't giving you actually the right data that you need. And we have a lot of that data already. And so it's important that you um, keep an active record, even your day trips so that when you are now filling out your citizenship application, you can be very clear about when you have come in and out of Canada. There's also a tool that you would fill out um, that you actually need to print off to show that you actually meet the criteria in advance. Um, You cannot become a Canadian citizen if you're prohibited under the Citizenship Act. So for instance, if you're in Canada and you're currently imprisoned on parole or on probation, you need to be finished all of that and a certain time has to pass. If you're currently serving a sentence outside of Canada, if you're charged with on trial for or involved in an appeal for an offence, if you're under a removal order or if you're being investigated for or charged um, or involved in some form of war crime or crime against humanity, You're also ineligible if you've had a citizenship application refused for misrepresentation in the past five years. So that's why it's just important to be able to uh, be very clear and sure about what you're doing because misrepresentation doesn't mean that you actively lied, but it came out as appearing to be a lie, some form of um, omission or um, some form of misrepresentation, and it can have an adverse effect on you. Um, if you've had your citizenship revoked because of fraud in the past 10 years, um, or if you've been convicted of an indictable offense in the four years before you apply. So, all of that to say, be mindful that you regulate your behavior accordingly, and this or this will prevent you from becoming a citizen. If for whatever reason you are ineligible, you are still able to apply for the citizenship of your minor children, and they can become citizens without you. This is a major and very important change because many, many, many young people, uh, when they became of age, their parents hadn't applied for them, and now, you know, they've they've although they've been raised in Canada, somehow something has happened where they've been, become involved in the law. Um, And um, they're facing deportation because they actually, despite the fact that they've been here since they were six months or two years old, they're getting deported uh, for criminality, for instance, simply because their parents had not applied for citizenship for them. Um, Important to note as well that Uganda allows for dual citizenship. So if you're currently um, a permanent resident here in Canada and you are um, interested in Canadian citizenship, it will not preclude you from maintaining your Ugandan citizenship. Uh, Uganda, however, does not allow for a third citizenship. So if you are currently a Ugandan citizen and a US citizen, and now you want to also apply for Canadian citizenship, then uh, you'll have to choose one. One of them has to go because Uganda only allows for two, okay? Um, So essentially, I say all of that to say that you miss out on opportunities and stability when you do not apply for citizenship. It's really, really important. So in closing, I want to leave you with words of advice for success in Canada. The one thing I will say is to vote. It's very important to ensure that you exercise your right to vote. Your future, your your ability for self-determination relies on it. Two, buy property. Many make the mistake of thinking temporarily, oh, I'm gonna be going back to Uganda, or yeah, no, I don't think it's important for me to buy a house right now. Think about the long-term. You create stability for your family, and you create intergenerational wealth by owning your home. Three, obtain education and training. As a country that is ranked high in in the top three for education, that would mean that we also require significant education and training for success in employment and in life generally in Canada. So pursue higher education, obtain a skilled trade, Many skilled trades, as I said earlier, pay very well and afford you a very high quality of life. Four, encourage entrepreneurship, business in the community, and support each other. Keep the money in the community. Build a community that helps and lifts each other up. Five, think of your needs as a collective. I love to hear uh, uh, Pastor Eddie talking about the community center. A shelter for newcomers so that they have some supports when they arrive. Um, And a place for Ugandans to be able to connect with. It's really, really important to have that type of connection. Think of your community as a collective. For instance, what do your young people need to succeed? How is the community supplying that need? What resources does the community need to supply that need? How can you lobby government and advocate for those needs to be met? How can you build community resources and raise community funds to supply those needs? Again, working as a collective to achieve your goals can only bring even greater success for the community. And finally, understand, actually not finally, I have two more points. Understand that naturally, governments are responsive to communities of influence, which brings us back to education, training, entrepreneurship, home ownership, and voting power. By focusing on building up community capacity, you increase the level of influence you have in the diaspora and you are greater able to assist your family back home in Uganda. I would be remiss not to add volunteerism. Apply to sit on agencies, boards, corporate boards, not-for-profit boards, government boards, these, um, sitting on these boards and having a voice is really, really important. One, a voice for the Ugandan community is really, really important um, at the table. Your seat at the table is necessary. I would actually say if you don't have a seat at the table, create your own table as well. But that's, a, that's for another day. Um, but apply to sit on boards, both corporate and nonprofit, government and non-government. This strengthens your ability to navigate governance. It strengthens your financial acumen, and how business works, uh, understanding how business works, in order to enhance your own initiatives within the community. And so that's really, really important. So this has been a wonderful opportunity for me, and for the Ugandan diaspora in Canada and in Uganda. So thank you for having me. I hope that my contribution to this very engaging dialogue has encouraged you to seek out further information and more importantly, that you will hear the call to action in order to secure your legacy and the legacy of your children for generations to come. Now more than ever is this is the best time for the community to ensure proper migration to Canada in order to seek further and better opportunities and to acquire citizenship and security in Canada.